0: Hello, everybody! Everybody! Woo!
1: Turn this up in our headphones, Charles. In our headphones!
0: (laughs) Turn it up. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fans with my friends, Charles. And with us today, but not always, very exciting, our featured guest today, independent author of The Daughter of Flood and Fury, Levi Jacobs. Hello,
2: everybody, to quote (laughs) those who have come before. Woo!
0: Hello, (laughs) welcome. And uh, you know what? We are super happy to have you on here, Levi.
2: I'm pumped to be on. It was so great of you guys to read the book and to, to do that spoiler-free episode. <laughs> I'm excited to get into the juicy spoiler section that's coming later. It's <laughs> yeah. excellent stuff. So it's great to be here. <laughs>
1: but all those who are tuning in just to get to know Levi... Don't worry, oh. we do have the first half that will keep spoiler-free for all of you. So don't turn this down in your headphones just yet, because <laughs> <laughs> I
2: was going to say it's spoiler-free for the book, but it's spoilerific for my life. If you want to get to know me, we're going <laughs> to mm-hmm.
1: talk about yeah. some
2: dirt. Very
1: Full well on spoilers for the life of Levi Jacobs. Well, I've got some spoilers for you here because we Excellent. know that you're a Spiffbo finalist. That's we true. know that you're a zebulon award winner That's we true. know that you're author of daughter of flood and fury which we read and loved on this show <laughs> uh, we know that you're the author of the empire of resonance and the yes. resident saga novellas but one thing i don't know is am i talking to levi jacobs or am i talking to lw jacobs right oh,
2: now? yeah so i'm in the process of of defining my public personas uh <laughs> now that i have two of them i think Let's say you're talking to Levi. He's the one that I've known for most of my life. And LW appeared when I got a publishing contract, <laughs> so nice. I, I'm coming to you as the author of Daughter of Flood and Fury. LW has no idea what the book is about. He has had no fingers in that pie,
0: so okay. LW is missing out. I'll say that. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, I've heard Levi is a little bit more Grimdark than an LW as well. So we'll have to watch out for what Levi is capable
2: of. It's true. I would say that uh LW and the Empire forthcoming Empire of Resonance mm-hmm. uh saga is more on the noble right, nobody can get killed, nothing can really go wrong, side of fantasy, and, and Levi is open to a few more hard knocks. Although I don't know if I'm grimdark, I might just be uh hmm slightly grumpy dark i'm not sure (laughs) still defining the genre
1: wow yeah lord grumpy dark might still be available (laughs) as a twitter (laughs) handle so (laughs) you got to get on that before this airs copyright copyright i might take it (laughs) but all right well you're just talking about how you have a traditional publishing deal that happened right like so you're officially going to be a hybrid author now
2: I'm officially a hybrid, yeah, after I think being officially, uh, it's just barely, let's see, I put out, I'm thinking how long I was in indie before that, before I was just a nothing. (laughs) I spent a long time as a nothing, uh, I should say, writing in my closet or in various strange spaces. I think (laughs) since 2013 is when I started taking it seriously, and I put a practice book out in 2018, and I would say that I became a real indie author in terms of, I had a thing that you could buy that I was proud of in 2019. So I spent two years doing that, and now I don't know if I can ever go back from being a hybrid, unless like I abandoned mm-hmm. my indie career and like unpublished all those books. I think I might be hybrid for life, but right um,
0: or burn yeah. all
1: your bridges with all traditional publishing folks and all ah, that. I guess would be that. It option, sounds right? <laughs> fun. I walked
2: away from like a from a doctorate program in order to become a writer, mm-hmm. and there was. I'll admit there was some deep part of my ego. This is the spoiler section about Levi's life that we're referring to. there was some deep part of my ego that really enjoyed just saying no. (laughs) Like you really need to come. You need to study this. You're very talented. I'm like, I'm going to go write fantasy books. Thank you very much. (laughs) So I may do that to the trad industry at some point
1: my advisor in my doctoral program probably would not like me to be talking to you right now He'd be worried that i would <laughs> Oh
2: man are you so deep high. in a are you deep in a doctoral program
1: I'm de- I'm deep in it yeah counseling psych you- over at at CSU oh, actually which is i know awesome. your rival actually you uh,
2: I suppose yeah i don't i don't really like uh subscribe to the to the totem pole in the same way um mm. are you are you ABD are you
1: uh, no, I've, I've got a lot left, but, yeah, but enough man. about me. Levi. Enough about you.
0: <laughs> enough about Dylan. Please don't get him started. <laughs> Dylan spoilers. <laughs> Just
2: don't ask him about his research. That's what I've learned about doctoral students. Do not ask.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: No, no one wants to hear about that. What we want to hear about <laughs> is uh, you, Levi. And one of the questions that we wanted to ask you was what drew you toward writing speculative fiction and fantasy.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I I feel like um I don't like there's probably a lot of answers, but um probably just reading a ton of them. I was lucky enough to be in this advanced reading class in third grade and we read The Hobbit and I was blown away by it and then I read The Lord of the Rings after we were done with it and, you know, wept copiously at the death of Gandalf, <laughs> having no idea that in fantasy people, well, we're not in the spoilers section yet, so I'm not going to say what happens to Gandalf for those of you who haven't read the book. <laughs> um, but I, I just kept like consuming mass amounts of fantasy, like uh, David Eddings and uh, Terry Brooks and Margaret Weis, Tracy Hickman, and then finding Robert Jordan and going deep down that rabbit hole um, until like the the strange social pressures, etc., and my own angst in high school like drew me away from such intellectual pursuits, but I planted a seed deep. I feel like I was always a storyteller and those were the stories that clung to me. Um, And I kept avoiding this call throughout most of my life as I did other things. I spent a long time writing uh, creative nonfiction because I was living in other countries and traveling and writing about my experiences. And then, like I said, I started this master's degree um, at uh, Dylan's rival university Mm -hmm. Uh, and like, within a month of starting it, I was like, this is really hard. And I 60% want to do this degree. And I a hundred percent suddenly want to write fantasy novels. (laughs) And I had this awful moment of like, I've set up my life to do this. Do I walk away or do I stick with it? And I ended up sticking with it. But as soon as I could get that master's degree, I walked away from the doctorate, like I said, and just started writing books. And it's the only thing in my life that I have stuck with this long and not second guessed. So I must have done the right thing.
0: It's always tough when you're like so far down one path to decide you're just going to, okay, going to stop doing this and pivot now at this stage. Like you're so far in your education and it's like you have this whole career plan. It's like I'm going to start my career over from the beginning by going to down this other avenue.
2: Um, Totally. It's like Macbeth talking about having waited so (laughs) far in blood,
0: like, you know, like, just keep going. Some cost fallacy, but it's very compelling. Right, right. So kudos to you. My whole question that I'd like to ask Laura on this line of like, why speculative fiction? It's like, how did you get yourself mentally to the place where you're like, I'm going to sit down and write my first book, like cover to cover? Like, what was that? Mm. Like, how far along were you in the process from leaving school to... Actually, starting the first book that you were going to finish, you know, what's that totally? Sp- 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 like? Yeah,
2: I uh I started off hearing this very old advice that what you needed to do was write short stories and get those published in known magazines, and then then traditional publishers would notice you and you would eventually get a book deal from that. And so, I started writing short stories, and I always wanted to put more story in there and wanted to be larger in scope than was really feasible. Um, and they were they suffered from it you know, I was listening or I was reading this uh, advice newsletter that was going out by David Farland, who uh, is the editor for the Writers of the Future competition and teaches writing. And I just wrote back to him. I was like, hey, I'm just discovering that what I really want to do is write books, even though I haven't made that much progress in selling my short stories. Is that crazy? And he's like, no, books are (laughs) where the money is like follow your heart,
0: just do it. And I was like, Thank you so much. <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't it also, yeah. Dylan, help me remember here, was it Joe Abercrombie that was just like, I probably should have written stor- short stories, but I decided to start with Everest, you know, with by writing the first law trilogy, right? Mm.
1: Well, I'm not sure, uh, honestly, about... <laughs> whether or not Abercrombie said that but it's not surprising (laughs) Uh, Levi you cut your teeth on Robert Jordan and (laughs) Tolkien over there that you're like no I want something big and epic and (laughs) short stories aren't doing it for me right (laughs) and you definitely went that route with Daughter of Flood and Fury or at least what I see you building with Daughter of Flood and Fury and We'll, we'll get into uh, more of that for sure in the spoiler portion, but uh, <laughs> we we're, were wondering what inspired you to, to write Daughter of Flood and Fury in particular. Like, how'd you get there?
2: Yeah, it's really, this is a really interesting one. Cause um, I'm, I'm quite the planner and usually I'm just very methodical about how I start a book and I tend to execute something like that plan once I've like gotten it all out. Um, And I started writing a book called All the King's Bastards. Um, And it had a completely different pitch. Uh, It had a kind of similar setting. uh, And it had a main character. And I was developing the side characters for it. And one of them was this uh, one-eyed girl, interestingly, who had been uh, kidnapped from a temple who had this ability to read minds through water. And um, I started writing her backstory. And I started writing sketches of her in different scenes from this book, I was going to write, and she was just so much more interesting than the main character, uh, and so compelling. And there was something—I don't know—there's something about Alethea's character that uh, that gripped me in a way that that none of my other main characters have. And I feel bad saying that because I, you know, like I feel like I have a deep personal relationship with all my main characters, but Alethea hits deeper than all of them somehow, and I felt that early on, um, and. I just kind of recognized, like, this is the book that I want to write. And so I kept going on her backstory, and then, like, it became front story. Um, and I threw out a lot of the things. There's just a little bit of the setting that's left from that one and a few of the things. It's funny how she was one-eyed, and then that that one-eye characteristic got transferred to another character that's in the book. Um, and some things changed, and things got switched around, but that was mainly it. And then I feel like my other inspiration is always... Um, in the beginning of reading other fantasy novels or uh, watching like speculative shows or whatever, when I'm just starting to get a hint of what the setup is and the magic and the characters, I get really excited because I'm like, oh man, they're going to do this. That's going to be so cool. And then they don't do it. And they have this moment of, Oh, that's my idea now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> they <laughs> don't do I it, think, so you can. <laughs> yeah. I was like, they went some other direction, and I think my direction's cooler. Um, and the the concept for gender-based magic was that mm. I was, I don't remember what it was, but there was something where like men and women had different abilities. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's so cool. And it's gonna be like this this huge division between them and like they're gonna be connected but separate, and it's gonna be kind of an illusion because of like gender is a thing that society decides what it is rather than like it's not sex um Mm -hmm. and i went down this rabbit hole and then the book was ended up being entirely different than that and i had that moment of like oh that's mine now um (laughs) and then yeah i love brandon sanderson and i go very very deep into the backgrounds of my magic and so i went from there into this deep thing that is not even on the page yet but like we said the book is the first of nine so (laughs) we've got a lot of room to expand
1: Yes, but a, I, a trilogy yeah. of trilogies. If I'm
2: <laughs> quoting your great trilogy of trilogies, part. yes, <laughs> yes, that <is> my ambition. <laughs> so,
1: so I'm I'm excited to see where because you can see in the background this more epic world developing. Charles and I were chatting about that on our episode where we discussed it. There's a lot that you're kind of slipping in there that yeah. we see is going to be fleshed out probably in the future. So we're pump for all that and awesome you know it's interesting you kind of uh, your story about finding this other character that was really calling to you basically it's kind of a similar yeah. thing like what you're describing the graduate school stuff right yeah. like if you're 60 yeah. percent in uh what what was it all the king's bastards all the are, king's bastards Yeah. all the king's mm-hmm. bastards you're 60 percent in on that story but then you're finding yeah. yourself 100 percent in on a, uh Alethea and daughter of flood and fury then i i think you made a good call following that just like you made a good call following the desired right fantasy
2: yeah and i think um that's not like following my gut or my heart has not always been easy for me but um as a writer the first book that i wrote seriously so the first book that i ever wrote was conan fan fiction (laughs) (laughs) um and that was nice because i knew that i was going to be a total geek about world building and i was like i can't balance my like precious, crazy ideas about what the world is, along with plot and character. I know that's going to be too much in my first book. So I was like, let me just take the world of Hyperborea. Let me take a character that I know so well, because I loved Conan when I was younger, and just do plot and just do side characters. Um, but the book after that uh, was a more ambitious thing. Um, that's the one that I put out as a test in 2018. It's called Ache, and it's published under a pen name, Kelvin Myers. So there's actually a third persona wow. <laughs> floating around back here. Very Shalon like Uh <laughs> um and when i started it i had this instinct that i needed to write it in first person even though there are three points of view and and like the rational part of me was like no you can't do multiple points of view that are all first that's very strange and people will be turned off by your point of view and so i didn't do it and um When I was done with the book on reflection, I was like, that was still the right thing to do. And there's no way in hell that I'm, uh, can I cuss? Are we, do we have a clean writing?
1: (laughs) I think you, you can say hell, but I think that we generally, Charles, we could label a single episode explicit if need be, but generally. Yeah. Yeah. Make yourself (laughs)
2: comfortable, Levi. (laughs) Don't don't censor yourself. (laughs) I can just use in-world cusses.
0: I mean, like um you could just say like, so, oh, that flood and story, you know? yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that slopping novel yeah, where yeah. I didn't play the... <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I I regretted that choice and I felt like the book was weaker for it. And so I sort of learned that like, at least in this stuff, I need to follow my gut. Like I immersed myself so deeply in fantasy back in the day, and now I read a ton that um I, you know, like you have this deep storyteller mind that you just have to trust when it says something like that. I know that the you know, Daughter of Flood and Fury is written in first person, present tense, and that is an unusual choice. Uh, and it's what felt right. And so, you know, like, I just kind of like, crossed my fingers that it doesn't turn people off. But I think that the book would have been worse if I'd done anything else, it would not be as strong. So you just got to do it.
0: Yeah, the the first person present perspective stuck to me right away because you start, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say, the first scene is like a fight sequence. And yeah. so when you have it in first person present, it's like, oh, I hit him in the knee and or something like that. It's like, it's very direct. And then, you know, the book moves yeah. very quickly too. So it's like the action moves quickly. The action is very like direct and very personal. So I, I, I haven't read yeah. a first person present in a long time. So it almost hit me like a, you know. It's kind of like a breath of fresh air every once in a while. And I think it's like you write awesome. what fits the character. You bit. write what fits the scene. You write what fits, you know, your style. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, it. I'm I'm glad it worked.
2: I wanted that sense of immediacy. Like I, mm-hmm. I wanted this book to just like grab you and not let go until it was done. And I mm-hmm. also felt like that was the right tense for it. Just like first person is the tense that's going to get you like deep in the character the fastest and help you like connect with them the best. yeah
1: and sometimes as a reader i feel like i i read a lot of author interviews or hear them on podcasts and stuff and people are always saying oh yeah i was worried that like would readers not be able to uh, like take something like this like uh, first person present tense or even like nk jemisin does second person and things like that and i don't know as a reader a lot of times my reaction is like at first, I'm like, oh, whoa, like I'm not used to this. I'm used to third person limited and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And then after like a chapter, two chapters, whatever, I've kind of moved past that. Now I'm just enjoying the story. And then you get to see these benefits to the different writing style that you don't see otherwise. And almost is like Charles said, uh, a breath of fresh air. And I think that a. a a first person present tense. It's really cool. Cause it feels like you're right there in the middle of those action sequences. And yeah. I, I liked it a lot. I, I thought it was awesome. really cool.
0: Yeah. You kind of have to retrain your brain a little bit too. Sometimes when you like, when you're so used to reading like game of Thrones or like first law, right. which have those like, um, like we jump around from different perspectives and we get mm-hmm. their like omniscient thoughts and stuff but then it's like okay now I'm reading like a totally different paced perspective so um yeah that alone was super interesting and i just appreciated how you made it fit with the like magic system of the story too which is like very awesome. fluid Thank very you. immediate very like let's go yeah
2: <laughs> yeah and my other books are not like that um and i wanted to do something different in writing this one so
1: yeah. Uh, I mean we had uh Mark Lawrence, who I'm sure you've had interactions with uh, uh through <laughs> his spiff I though, mean, one way or think, another.
2: Yeah, uh, kind so. of a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um he, we uh we wrote him some questions and he answered some he said the The only time that something is ever happening in a book now is if the book is written in present tense. He's kind of saying how he jumps through timelines and sometimes people get on him for being like, but the past stuff isn't happening now. It's like, it's all written in past tense. So none of it is happening now unless it's present (laughs) tense. So I just it's cool to be like, oh, wow, this is happening right now. Anything can happen.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like that, you know, because like, I don't know, it's all... Like you said, after you read a chapter or two, it just blends together. But there's something about past tense that feels like even if you don't get the frame story, like in Kingkiller Chronicles, that it's mm-hmm. there, that somebody survived to tell you the story. Like, you're pretty sure the narrator isn't going to die. You know, like whoever this person is yes. who like maybe hasn't named themselves or like in that case has as narrator. Like, yeah, it doesn't feel as immediate and it feels a little bit maybe safer somehow to me right. at least. Yeah.
1: I think so too. So you mentioned Kingkiller Chronicle. Is Tidecaller Chronicles oh. is that supposed to sound like <laughs> King Killer Chronicle or is that a coincidence?
2: No. I hadn't I hadn't actually uh, thought of that like sonic resonance. Um I had a, a much worse uh, title for the series, and unfortunately I have author friends who like pulled me back from the brink with their genius. Um <laughs> and one night over a chat, I was just like, guys, I have these names and they're not very good. And here's some nouns that could be cool. Can, can you help me? Right. It was (laughs) the um,
1: deluge something, right? Deluge.
2: Yeah. I think it was like the deluge saga or like the drowned (laughs) cycle. I don't know. Like, I don't really like naming uh, (laughs) books and series because like, it's very hard to make them not sound generic. It's just like when you summarize the plot of a fantasy or science fiction book in like less than five minutes. It's going to sound so generic it's awful like it's just a product of our genre that like to signal genre and to have the tropes that we expect in it. Mm-hmm. You can't really say it short without it just sounding like every other book. So, um I but I I really like Tide Color Chronicles and I think that it has a ring to it. I had not thought about King Killer and it's King Killer Chronicles, right?
1: yeah it's i think it's not plural and i think you said tide Collar chronicles is plural right
2: okay uh, there we go so that's, all, <laughs> that's the, how not ripping that's, out pat rock yeah. <laughs> so
1: but yeah no it's got that ring to it if there's anyone that you want to be <laughs> kind of echoing Absolutely. the ring to the way
2: that the things they write sound then it's probably patrick Rothfuss, right <laughs> oh man but no shade on patrick Rothfuss, but uh like if if he was going to write a nine book series <laughs>
1: Well, we won't dive too deep into those waters. We're going to need some Uh, kind
2: of advanced therapy
0: to live
1: long enough. So, (laughs) anyway, we're we're also wondering some of this around the like the process of coming up with something as big as the Tidecaller Chronicles are going to be. So, nine books is what we're hearing right now. This trilogy of trilogies and yeah. plus
2: a few novellas probably
1: okay of cool. sprinkle maybe a few novellas in there <laughs> maybe different perspectives or well yeah. I, I mean i want to mm-hmm. get into more of those are some of my spoiler questions maybe nice. uh, okay in the future. but <laughs> i'll say while we're still here i want to ask you about in the, the yeah, <laughs> like the process of outlining versus discovery yeah. writing i it seems like you're more of a like, outliner in the vein of a brandon sanderson's uh style uh rather than a discovery writer like a friend of the show mark lawrence so the yeah uh, so the process of a levi jacobs or an lw (laughs) jacobs uh novel uh, what's it look like when you're preparing to go about writing something was an outline look like and then how do you how much does it change from there
2: yeah um So the, the outline starts with just like the cool ideas. Like this one was like this character Alethea and I had already done these background sketches and I'd kind of created the world, but then I like changed it to make her story better and to fit it better. Um, But basically I start off with just like, I think these things would be cool. And then the question is kind of how do they happen? And my document, and this is entirely ripped off from Brandon Sanderson because I, Uh, started listening to his writing podcast when I was very impressionable Mm -hmm. so my outline has a column for plot a column for character and a column for setting slash world slash magic Um, and so I just start developing all of those in tandem and when like when the plot calls up a question about who is this person going to be I go over to character and then at some point they start those columns get to be so long on my computer screen that I start to section them off into like beginning middle end and then they start to section off into um, I don't think about chapters but I think about like uh, sections or scenes. So they start to get split into that. And then and then there's just a lot of polishing and revising when I'm like, okay, I think this is weak. So how can I seed that in? And then I put notes for what I need to seed in each chapter. Um, because I'm a believer that uh, for a book to feel satisfying, every, uh, every chapter should have something that's relevant to plot, to character, and to setting, um, especially plot and character. But I think in fantasy, setting is just as important So I try to make something interesting happen in all of those. And I also try to keep my chapters under 3000 words so that you don't feel like, like as a reader, sometimes I feel stuck in a chapter when I'm like reading before bed and I like the chapter, but I'm like, I need to go to sleep. And so I start paging ahead to see where it ends. And if I have to page more than like 10 times on my phone, which is where I do a lot of my reading, I'm like, Oh God, like, can't you just wrap it up? (laughs) So I try to make a lot of, natural breaks even if the break once makes you want to keep reading like i think that um and that's something i learned from the expanse series is they have they have epic books told in very bite-sized chapters and i think that's a great way to make the book pull you through so mm-hmm. i try to split them up into that um and so in the end of it i have a document that's got like five columns cuz there's like number and then there's estimated word count and then i note in there is it a scene is it a sequel is it a development um And then I've got my plot character setting. And then I have other weird charts about like what the character names are and notes about the backgrounds. And those documents are like anywhere from uh, like 5,000 to 15,000 words, probably. And then I have a separate Wikipedia. Well, it's just for me, but I call (laughs) it my wiki that is like all the background stuff of the world. And the one for Tidecaller Chronicles is is swelling for sure. But the one for the empire of resonance is legit as long as a book, like it's huge. (laughs) Um, so I keep those separate because those ones I'm going to use for all the books I need to reference them. Um, so I think that's what it looks like. If that makes any sense, I wish that I could like screen share with y'all, but it's audio. So take my (laughs) word for it. (laughs) They're complex. I plan a lot. And then um, I leave room for the pantsing to happen in the writing of it. When I'm like, "This is cool. This is better. Let me just adjust the outline." The outline gives me a place to start, and then like my my intuition like keeps me going. I guess.
0: That's awesome. Nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, sounds like you give yourself a lot of outline to guide your process, but you also allow yourself the flexibility to do what you want and do what's most cool and entertaining.
2: Yeah. I think the characters in particular will really fall flat if you don't give them room to breathe. Unless like, if you've been writing all of those characters for a long time, maybe you know them well enough to plan it ahead of time. But like, if it's a first book, you know, I I don't actually really know who they are. So I think they'll do this. And then when I get to that point, I'm going to be like, nope, that is not right. So like the story's got to change because the character like has to stay true to who they are.
1: That makes a lot of sense. I know even Brandon sanderson is famous for his outlining and yeah being so focused on applying everything out all this kind of stuff and and even it's he Underland. says he discovery writes his characters right so i would yeah. think that it you know you could do a lot worse than modeling your writing style after someone like brandon sanderson for sure
2: for sure yeah yeah
1: so here's some something i've been wondering um much like Brandon Saracen, you've written both adult and young adult, right? Yeah. So your past was more adult. And I was thinking, so Dark Flood and Fury is young adult and you self-published it. So that's entirely your call, right? As yeah. to whether this is young adult or adult. how mm-hmm. When did you figure that out that it was young adult? Is it mm-hmm. something you knew at the start or something that, became young adult when you're writing it.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, like the the like I don't know if we call YA genre or what a reading level. It's so nebulous. And I've had this right. debate with my friends about like what makes it YA. And the interesting thing is that um, when when I'm just publishing on Amazon, which is what I'm doing right now, they don't really have a marker for YA. They have like juvenile fiction and then they have adult fiction. And those juvenile to me says something different than YA. Um, and so uh, I didn't really have to define it, but when I was writing it, I was absolutely thinking YA. And to me, what YA means is uh, is mostly about the pros, like how fast does it move, how complex is it, and how emo is it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this book is much more emo than um, than my other books because, um, in theory, writing for a younger audience that's like experiencing life in a much more passionate way. Um, And that maybe their reading level isn't as high as like your Game of Thrones reader. But the ironic thing is that people of all ages adore YA. And I think that a lot of times staying focused on like the plot moving on the characters being clear and concise and being grounded in their experience of it and like letting that be dramatic. I think it just makes for good books a lot of times. So this this book is strange. Uh, it had a lot of history before I put it out myself. Um, it I had an offer for a three book deal from a traditional press years ago mm. and they bought it as epic fantasy. And you just said, uh, you'll have to make it a little longer for it to be epic fantasy, but that's what it is. And I was like, oh, I thought it was YA, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I had an agent represented after that and he thought that it was YA. Um, and so I feel like it kind of straddles the line. But in my mind, yeah. I was absolutely writing it to be Y.A., but I wanted it to be epic Y.A. I wanted the scope to be there, even though the prose and the plot, and to some extent, the character felt really focused in the way that Y.A. fantasy does. So I'm trying to walk that line, and that's part of why this is going to be a trilogy of trilogies, is that I want each book to be really digestible and fast, but I want the story to get huge in the way that I love as an epic fantasy reader. Um, So I just need a lot of books to do that. A lot of like short, intense books. (laughs) That's the goal.
0: An epic trilogy of short, fast paced books. I kind of like that. I've always appreciated like faster pacing myself, especially when, you know, you're writing, um, your writing style, your magic system involves a lot of kind of fast pace. You got intrigue and action. So, um, it's both, you get the best of both worlds. You get the, you know, the epic series, lots of books, but then you also get to move the pace pretty fast, tell that contained story, have that reading experience captured in that like YA way too. Very smart. Totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up the emo level is a <laughs> yeah. huge I like aspect. that. Yeah. I never thought about it. I I thought what you're going to start, what well, I usually hear is like age of protagonist, but right. then that doesn't really yeah. equate at yeah, all because it it's like you yeah. know, like Althea's, I I think like pretty similar age, like Vin at the start of Mistborn, mm-hmm. I would guess, or like uh, Nona in Mark Lawrence's Red Sisters, yeah, even like younger, like and that's old. Old. That <laughs> that and like, adult. That is adult. yeah, and. I mean, even like Jorgs, while we're we're talking about Prince of Thorns, he's probably age-wise around the same age as some of these other characters, (laughs) but definitely not young adult. So it's like the emo levels and almost how focused this is on the internal experience of the protagonist. uh, And I don't know, I find that really interesting. And because internal emotional experience is making me want to get into more questions that are probably a little bit more spoilery it has me thinking maybe let's uh let's ask the time Levi to by here yeah let's ask Levi here where folks can find him on the internet and, okay totally uh, then we'll get into so, the spoilery portion
2: yeah so if you don't want to find out all all Alethea's dark secrets um <laughs> stop listening now uh and you can Find my books on Amazon by searching Levi Jacobs. And I think it still brings up the Empire of Resonance saga, which is coming out later this spring. Um, the first one comes out in March, um, but it'll definitely bring up the Tidecaller Chronicles. Um, the second book of which I'm hoping to have out in late March. Um, and uh, my website, levijacobs.com uh, has a lot of stuff, especially just go to levijacobs.com free. Um, and there are free novellas there. Uh, there'll be one set in this universe pretty soon, but there's uh, some set in the, well, spoilers, they're in the same universe. He <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> likes um, but uh, in the same world. So there's some in the Empire of Resonance world. Um, and there's audiobooks there too, that are free. So if you just want to check me out and you don't want to drop some cash to do it, um, that's a good place. And then you can find out a lot more about me. I do some stuff on social media, but uh, it's, sporadic. Cause I honestly don't love spending my time there. And I'm a father of two and my wife's in grad school. So there's not a lot of time to spend. Um, but my Twitter handle is at I R L Levi Jacobs. Um, like in real life, Levi Jacobs, it's hard to say all that, but it makes sense when you see it. Um, <clears throat> and Facebook is facebook.com slash author Levi Jacobs. And that's the one that truly is a lot of crickets, <laughs> but I might, I might make moves. Oh, yeah. I just really don't like Facebook. Our
1: Facebook so. page too. I don't know (laughs) how. I basically only keep that going to uh, keep Charles satisfied because he, but uh, Twitter and Insta way better, but find Levi on all those platforms he just listed and read Daughter of Flood and Fury if you haven't, because it's (laughs) awesome. Go. Buy that thing. And anyway, uh, if you have already read Daughter of Flood and Fury, then uh, you're ready to get into the dirt. That's right. (laughs) Ready to hang around a a little (laughs) bit longer here. So something that struck me that you st- and th- uh here be spoilers from here on out but i'll say <laughs> yeah it officially. yep we're
0: so, w- we're wading out this. into the deep pool of spoilers <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: we're melding our minds in the waters yes, <laughs> yes getting immersed in there shall in be it. no secrets our unless i have a partial blind world yes
1: of <laughs> Levi Jacobs here so something that stuck out to me that you're just talking about is this bit about uh there was another character that was a main character and this whole other book thing going on is that still are those characters still in daughter of flood and fury at all or are those like is it just completely different now that you I think that character
2: wise yeah character wise they Alithea is the only one that made it okay Um, but setting wise uh so like it's probably clear that this is a post-apocalyptic setting. I mean that these like terrible floods come and destroy civilization right. every few hundred years
0: mm-hmm.
2: or almost destroy it. And there are deep reasons behind that, which I shall not spoil here. <laughs> but, um, so there's this, this group of islands called the Cerante islands, uh, off the peninsula where this book is set. Um, and they're very strange pillars that rise up from the ocean and they are skyscrapers <laughs> ah. <laughs> that were uh, flooded long ago, but still wow. exist. Um, and I'm having fun in the book that I'm writing right now, uh, a lot of it happens in uh, relics of water towers that are like insane, the people of this age cannot imagine making them, but they inhabit them. So anyway, um, that was the that was the main setting for all the King's Bastards was those islands that were essentially like rotted skyscrapers that like now have land on them and stuff because it's taken long enough, um, but there's still a mysterious like structure of, I think they must have been built out of aluminum to not rust. Um, so that setting is still there. Um, and this is so weird to do spoilers, but, uh, as you know, in the end, uh, Deshaun Mm -hmm. runs away and he's like, uh, we're going to refound the temple, um, in the kind of this rebellion move. And I think that they're going to end up, uh, on those islands. And all the King's Bastard was about a rebellion that was brewing on those islands. So there's some, there's some follow through.
1: Mm. Interesting. So you, you mentioned Deshaun here, who's not, um, uh, shot rough showing, honestly, for <laughs> Dishat all, all Poor over guy. Like, kinda, like, it was interesting because I felt like shot almost from the start seemed like you were slotting him in to be kind of the typical young adult, like, love interest who's, they've been yes. friends for a long time and all this kind of yeah. stuff. And I was like, okay, yeah. so maybe here we go again with this. Right. But then that goes a totally different direction <laughs> where yeah. Deshaun in the end, I, I guess maybe heart in the right, hard to say, uh, but does some pretty messed up things and yeah. uh, like really betrays Althea and Gaxna there. So yeah. Hardcore. Uh, not, not pumped about uh, Deshaun's actions there, but you, you mentioned Deshaun going out to these like island I pillars or what have you. Yeah, and if we're following that, can we expect the Tidecaller Chronicles to like start going multiple POV or anything like that, or is it going to stay focused on just Alethea?
2: Yeah, uh, I am not totally sure about that. I think it's it's going to be central to Alethea always, but one of the goals in writing a trilogy of trilogies is that <laughs> I want um, the beginning of each trilogy to be a fresh starting point. So that you won't have to have read books one through three if you want to start at four. Um, I want want to take the reader from zero in book four and again in book seven. Um, So I think when I do that, it might make the most sense to jump into someone else's head and then we'll have the thing that I feared long ago, which is multiple (laughs) first-person POVs. Or I might do the thing that some people do where Alethea is the only one who gets to use I, and um, the other characters will be written in third. Um, I don't know about that yet, but I think that probably the story is going to get so epic that we can't really just tell it through um, Alethea's eyes, although um, I've realized that some of the deeper implications of uh, the magic of the um, Theracant magic. So. This is just a little hint, and I like doing things like this. But um, there's a couple of times, especially in the scene where Alethea is talking to Yellen and uh, like apologizing for what happened, um, and Yellen's fingers start tapping, and Yellen's like, "I have to go." Um, <laughs> this is a way that the Therakins can talk to each other when they have each other's blood, because they they don't sense thoughts, so they can't understand what people are thinking, and they can't like talk telepathically the way that monks could if they had a water connection, um, and they do that through rivers and streams. Um, but the, the Therakins can basically use Morse code to talk to each other. Um, and we're building a little bit of a network of Alethea now having Yellen's blood and a few other people having each other's blood so that they can talk to each other even from a very far distance by using this once they learn it. So I think that I, that might be my fantasy cell phone <laughs> <laughs> in terms yeah. of getting us updates <laughs> from afar and um, getting... Some of that information across without having to have a lot of points of view. Cause the like to do a point of view justice in a book, it you just have to have the book be longer. Like you can't it's unless you're gonna kind of have a throwaway point of view. For me, I've I've just found that if I have more than a chapter or two in a point of view, they need to have like half the chapters or something for us to care about them mm-hmm. and to have a reason right. to be with them. And I wanna like I said, I want to keep these books like uh tidy and very page turny. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with that is the TLDR answer.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you have a couple options though. So it should be exciting to see where it ends up. The idea that like you can stay tight to uh, Alethea, but through the magic system, you can keep tabs on kind of far away areas and different kinds of people, you know, it's like you can tell if a person's in trouble or not, or if they're calling for help or not, things like that. It opens up some possibilities.
2: Yeah, and there's there's a uh, possibilities for hijacking too, because yes, if someone has know. your blood, they can make you do things. So you can think that someone is sending this message to you and it's actually someone else. Yes. And that's I think pretty much planning for that to be a thing in both three. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah. So how long how far along are you right now in the writing process? And you said that you have plans to have the second book come out in did, when did you say it was it was sooner I'm afraid than the... of
2: what I said because I've been telling people late March okay, um, yeah, and that feels a little bit crazy, especially because we've maybe decided to go on vacation in the second half of March, which is very bad timing for launching a book. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I might push that back to uh, do justice to the fact that I'm a father and I have a family. <laughs> but um, that's the goal. I would really like to get uh, the third book out before I start selling fruit in the summertime because that's an mm-hmm. all-consuming job and I basically stop writing. And I would like to have the trilogy out so that people have a satisfying conclusion and I can like sort of have a clean break when I come back in the fall and start writing that next series or write a different series. So um, it's kind of a breakneck pace, but the book has been flowing really well. I'm 30,000 words into it as of like 5 p.m. today. (laughs) And um, I think that the book will be 70 or maybe 80. Um, which is about the length of daughter. So uh, I'm hoping to have a draft of it done in the middle of next month, which sounds crazy. But um, now that I work with editors, I also need to tell them and schedule it ahead of time. So I've got a deadline, um, which is late February. So that's the plan. (laughs) It's a little bit scary, but (laughs) uh, I think as a hybrid author, I have to get used to it too, because I think the trad world just slaps deadlines on you and you deal with it. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: hmm. well as uh, i'm sure you can hearken back to your graduate student days and <laughs> get yeah. used to those deadlines again although i i think i don't know it sounds like you're cranking these things out so <laughs> i'm excited because something that now that we're in the spoiler portion yes i i want to ask about is gaxna gaxna was my favorite character in. oh cool lo- oh yeah i love awesome. the roguish type yeah. Characters. yeah it's like uh it sounds like you, you read red sister and i love clara yep. uh and yeah oh interesting Gax kind of gave me some some clara vibes Ah,
2: that's cool i yeah. i mean i listened to the episode and you mentioned that but i had not thought of it before that at all
1: <laughs> yeah no it's, mm. it was awesome cool. i love this like uh the that's a the first rule of its first rule of thie- thievery thievery yep. yeah yeah, yeah. Well, mess it up but <laughs> it, so Gaxna awesome character and I was legit gonna we we would have had real beef not just like you go to see <laughs> you and I go to see you beef like real beef if you if you went all in on killing Gaxna off cuz yeah. like you, you kind of flirted with that at the end I teased there. it so hard yes were you legitimately considering killing Gaxna off or did you always know like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna leave them, give them a little glimmer of hope here
2: um the first draft of the book she died. Oh uh, you. <laughs> yeah. She died the and that bastards. Was the bastards. <laughs> it was an appropriately uh titled look. Yeah. All the king's bastards. All the yeah. king's
1: bastards, yeah.
2: Um, um yeah and that, that uh, be that's out. the that's the first time that I've made myself cry uh while writing. Uh-huh. It was super emotional. Um and that
0: was I... <laughs> that was yeah, an intense was... moment. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that and then just like, yeah, okay, God, this is crazy to do spoilers, but I had such a killer last line for it when Gaxana died. So as it is right now, like the line is similar, but um, uh, I'm just going to pull it up because I, I want to read it to you since yeah, we're doing please this do, yeah. deep an alternative universe. Spoilers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, alternative universe. And this is like, this is a thing that I offer to my, um, that I offer to subscribers. Who, because you know, in the back of the book, there's a note like, if you sign up for my newsletter, you can get this free novella um, and you can get the alternate ending to Daughter of Flood and Fury. Um, <clears throat> and so, this is the alternate ending that I would send them. Let's see, we're going all the way back to draft two. Wow
0: uh and i um dylan you might I want to been. turn this down in your headphones huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i'm i'm pumped we're getting the deep cut here
2: okay you know what i'm even i'm just going to read a section here here we go all right go. so from the author himself um, Alethea is uh she's reflecting on it she's on the parlor ship she's reflecting on what happened um and her dad telling her um ready the city or ready the world if you can and she says i think it's what gaxon would have wanted." She tried to act like she didn't care, but she threw me a rope when I was being chased by a pack of Bloodborne that first day and was always on the watch for runaways to help. I feel like Gaxna now watching from the rooftops as the world runs from danger. And I think this is basically the same in the book, but it ends different. A danger it doesn't even know is there. Like I have the choice to throw my rope or not and not throwing would be so much easier, but I can hear my ancestors' voices, hear my father's voice and spray off the starboard bow, catch Reggie on a snap when I jump from a boarding skiff into the waves, They echo what I already know, that I have to do something, and I will, as soon as I can catch that spray without weeping, because my lover's voice is in it too.
1: Oh, crap.
2: (laughs) I'm proud of that line, and I didn't get to use it, so I got to stay here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's an awesome line. I still probably would have flung my Kindle across the room, I think. I mean, I'd be
2: happy to get that reaction. It's like, yes, I got him. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'd probably
1: have to send you a bill to fix my wall or something like that for the i mean because i was legit there's there's a why i mean it felt like a while where it's like oh yeah oh, wait like is he actually gonna yep. is he actually gonna fall through with this but i was waiting for it so what made you decide not to what made you decide to change it
2: um i uh there is a couple things one um is just that i feel like you shouldn't you shouldn't waste. Uh, character and like that is sort of like a cheap punch at the end of the book um my friend emma wong oh okay i can't talk spoilers about other people's books never mind um <laughs> sometimes death i feel like deaths of characters are so good and drive the book deeper um and this one kind of felt more like a cheap trick to me um and i realized that uh Gaxon could be really interesting if she stayed around um and the other thing was uh just Uh, watching the 100 have you guys watched that show no Um, it's kind of like uh cheap thrill entertainment for me when my brain is dead after a long day of selling fruit um (laughs) and they had a beloved character who was uh who was lesbian um and the main character um has relationships with people of all genders um and they ended up killing off that female love interest and their fans just went crazy because they're like you killed her off because she was the woman interest and your main character who's female needed to end up with a guy. Um, and obviously Alethea is not ending up with Deshaun. <laughs> Let's hope <laughs> But But um, I was afraid of raising ire of following this trope called kill your gaze trope. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to me to not repeat uh, that kind of representation when it's, you know, like when they're seen as another kind of token character. Um, and I mm. don't see Gaxma that way. And I sure. just thought about it. I was like, there's great reasons to keep her around and I don't really want to, um, you know, have this negative representation. So I decided then, not
0: to do it. That's well um, said. And, when I think about the relationship between Gaxna and Althea, like that's one of the, the big themes of the book is Althea's like constantly like, you know, life is pretty good now. I could kind of pause and yeah. enjoy life with Gaxna. So when you have this idea of like <laughs> happiness versus discovering yeah. the truth, you take away Gaxna, it's like, You take away that theme, that conflict, also potentially. So I think it's smart where it's like she's always there. Now she's balancing like her quest for the truth, and all it's doing is taking her away from a happy life with Gaxa. You know, so balancing that is a yeah. She has to
2: she has to stay human and like get her own instead of just being like. I think the series would get really grimdark if Gaxa was out of it because (laughs) Elithia would just become driven to, like, save the world, but, like, be losing herself in the process, and that, that would be an interesting story, too, but, um, yeah, I think I think I made the right choice, even if I had to throw away that line.
1: <laughs> I think so, too, and I think not just because I would have been personally <laughs> very upset by it, but also I think, like, it's it's this glimmer of hope, and it's this person who yeah. represents why the world is worth saving, and yeah. I think that, Like, this is kind of a weird thing about fantasy. I find sometimes it's like the world is always in danger. It feels like Like the world's always about to get destroyed. So we're kind of like, okay, yeah, but that's just the world. Like that thing is always in trouble. But why is this world worth saving to me as the reader? It's because of the people in it and the characters and their relationships. So for me as someone who, you know, I'm reading this first person present tense uh, book about Althea, I feel like I'm Althea going through this right now
0: and totally. I'm like,
1: no, we can't lose Gax. No, that's all we have. So I'm like, it, I think for me as a reader, like you would have hit me hard in the fields, for sure even harder than you did but at the same time i find like what makes me want to read book two is the fact that gaxna is uh appears i i would guess is still out there and there's something to save this world for there's someone
0: yeah, yeah.
2: that's that's a really good point and really well spoken
0: Yeah, Levi, thank you very much for keeping Gexton alive, because there's an alternate reality where I just have to keep (laughs) talking Dylan down all the time. He's just so (laughs) upset. We have to go to record and he keeps bringing it up. I'm like, okay, okay, buddy. It was very sad, but we have to move on. There's more books. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah well it, yeah i don't
1: know if i can talk to a guy who did this Like, it, I, I just don't know so I, yeah i mean maybe lw jacobs but not this levi jacobs yeah. guy who's out there <laughs> killing my favorite characters in the book and and just leaving althea with, with nothing left to fight for so <laughs> i think what you've done is give us the opportunity to say like okay well Uh, like now we've we've got something to fight for and I'm interested to see how how Thea decides to go about it. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Yeah, that's good. That that is the place I want you to end book one feeling. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So here's another thing that came up for me, Ring is because you know, you've been Uh, pretty open about this idea that a lot of it has to do with these societal structures and how that influences people's expression and understanding of gender. And you kind of explore that Mm -hmm. through the, the magic system. So I was like, Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of this moment I was, I was seeing, uh, I was seeing outside, I was reading my Kindle and I was like, uh, still trying to figure out exactly what you're doing with it. And then I was like, I think I, I think I know what he's doing now. So here's my (laughs) sense is, And you let me know if this is that our English teacher, Mr. Miller, me and Charles's <laughs> English teacher, uh, taught us to overanalyze books or if I'm onto something, right? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so uh, I feel like it's this, like, in Darth, in Darth Fury, society tells us that male magic involves thoughts, right? While female mm-hmm. magic involves emotions, but Althea is someone who's capable of both and really... It's a societal structures, not any sort of innate ability, like ability or inability having to do with sex that's hindering people's ability to use potentially both masculine and feminine magic. Like uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of an arbitrary thing that the world put on them. But and I think you've been open about that part. The part I'm wondering is like is the societal messages telling men that they should express themselves more cognitively, more through thoughts, while women Mm. receive the societal message that tells them to express themselves and therefore their magic through more of these like emotional aspects? Mm. Is that supposed to mirror the kind of messages that we receive in our real world? And yeah, and if so, (laughs) what made you interested in exploring that?
2: Well, um, yeah, I think that uh, I think the first thing to say about it is that I I don't have uh, like a message that I want to like be preaching behind the scenes of the book. Um, I definitely want to explore uh, different concepts that I think are really loaded in in society with this series. And the first book is focused on gender. The second one is going to be focused on possession or wealth or uh, materialism, however you want to look at it. Um, but I don't go in wanting to say that like uh, we should all give up all our possessions, or we should all like um, define ourselves like we should make up our each person should make up their own gender, et cetera. Um, I don't want to go in with that. Uh, I find these concepts interesting. And I sort of want the characters to teach me about them mm-hmm. by going through a life in which uh, it's much more loaded for them than it is for me um and see how they deal with it and what they come up with um but yes in the design of the world in thinking about gender like in fantasy world like it easily could have been the opposite that men were the ones who were passionate and emotional um and women's were like uh did i just say women's i did <laughs> uh, <laughs> and female identifying people were uh were very cognitive um and i think i chose to hue closer to like the norms that we find at least in U.S. society, because I didn't want that very radical otherness of the world design to throw people off and continually be like, "Wait, but these guys are so weird." <laughs> I wanted it to be familiar so that we could explore it. So, um, so I think some of that design is there that like the people in Saray happen to think similar things to gender roles that that we do in the U.S. Um, just because I didn't want that to be an opaque part of the world building. I wanted us to get through that and to think about like what really is the the use or the purpose and the effects of defining gender so narrowly. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, that's so well said, Levi. And it's very, for a second, I thought you were going to tell me that Mr. Miller uh, just has me overanalyzing this, but I it does sound like you, uh, <laughs> Where you were, you were kind of trying to learn through this. Rather, you weren't trying to teach; you were trying to learn, I guess, by exploring these ideas and and mirroring some of the societal messages that folks receive out here. Totally, yeah. I think I think, think Mr.
2: Chance. Miller did you well in uh, you know, getting you to think about these things and what you said earlier about needing like uh, needing a reason to care about the world being at stake. Like that's that's some great literary analysis. So I feel like. You got to give Mr. Miller's a, a, a kudos. Wow! Um, wow!
0: You hear that, Mr.
1: Miller? My <laughs> Jacobs thinks
0: you did a good job. It's uh, it's it's kind of strange to hear Mr. Miller's name spoken outside of our circle now. <laughs> Mr. Miller's a thing now. Yeah.
2: I mean, he might show up in one of my books. <laughs> Actually, oh boy, I've got a character in the book I'm writing right now. Um, well, oh God. Mr. Need Miller probably mentor. doesn't want to be secretly evil, so. Hey,
0: he can. I don't think. But mystery. you know what? He's, I he's down for whatever. <laughs> <yeah>.
2: <laughs> I do kind of have a beef against the overanalysis of literature. I was a literature major. That was my bachelor's degree, um, literature and philosophy. And I there was like a huge divide between them in a way that you wouldn't think. Um, mm. And I often got annoyed by not uh not looking for meaning in literature like i think that's fine but in trying to say something different for the sake of saying something different and coming up with these like wacky interpretations that like you got to really stretch the prose to get them like you know like authors aren't divine beings like we can like hopefully tell a story that's entertaining and then hopefully beyond that one that's sort of meaningful to you but like If we're not talking about Shakespeare, like, don't talk to me about like, the significance of the quality of the air in Faulkner. It's like, no, this is like, don't spend your life writing that dissertation. Like, you can read it, and you're pretty much going to get what Faulkner meant like, the first time, or read somebody else's opinion and like move on um, is yeah. how I feel. And so it's funny that I ended up being a writer, but I'm not one just trying <laughs> to like, seed James joyce and level uh, <laughs> meaning into my, into my stuff. I want it to be accessible.
1: Right. Sometimes the shirt a character is wearing is is just green because it's green. It's, uh, <laughs> it's <not laughs> it about doesn't Islam. always symbolize anything. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's well said, Levi. So it's kind of more telling an entertaining story first, and then second is what what kind of ideas can I grapple with and and learn from.
2: Absolutely, and I think the philosophy major in me can't possibly think about something. As long as I think about my books without getting into like the the ideas and concepts behind it um I'm like diving deep into into the concept of institutionalization and like uh consent to uh joining uh hegemonic systems here I go with these words uh in book two um and (laughs) you know they're never gonna say that (laughs) but it's got me thinking about it quite a bit and my uh the character who would be mr miller if mr miller wanted to be evil was talking about um different kinds of prisons and being stuck in a prison of morality uh just yesterday <laughs> so i it's just the person that i am that i end up writing about this stuff but i i don't go in wanting to convince you of anything
1: yeah that's that's awesome i'm thinking that the like the the idea of having more of an entertainment first perspective is probably the one that's going to <laughs> appeal to the most readers and will allow you to kind of follow more of that intuition that you...
0: and best prepares you for reading daughter of flood and fury. Also <laughs> like uh-huh. is definitely meant to be exciting. And there's yes. intrigue, not so much like capital L literature, like e- exposing here, but um, yeah. It,
2: and I think the, like the the power of literature is that you care about these things because they're happening to someone that you care about like if you read an essay about gender roles you're like okay that's what a person thought but if you read about someone whose whole life has been hard because they've been seen as a heresy because of how they were born then it's like i care about this and like maybe you learn something from their experience rather than from their thoughts like they don't even have to say it or no one has to say it and just see it in the story yeah Sorry, Charles. I feel like I cut you off to
0: like expostulate on my own. Oh experience. no, no, no! You're good. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, man, what else is there to say, guys? I mean, I could keep talking all day, uh, Levi. But I don't want to take up too much of your time. Now I know we're at the hour mark. Um,
2: it's true. We're at the hour mark. We've got to leave some things unspoiled for the people who. <laughs> listen to this even though they haven't read the book oh yet. Know you you're out there cheeky <laughs> listeners you <laughs> this does not replace reading the book you have to find out why why they care about gaxness so much is she really a roguish character mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: you have to really like the whole idea is that balance and that to me was the most gripping part of this i want to pull just a quick 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 quote here Um, what is life for all this questing for truth and justice if it means turning down happiness and that to me I was like that is such a great way to tie in like the intrigue with the relationship with Gaxna together and even Deshawn comes in and is like what's it, what is worth more than us being together? It's you know, it's like they're all trying to find these reasons to, to to find happiness while also dealing with all this political intrigue. And that to me was like the driving force of this book. So, I mean, you you got to read it just for that, guys, to to see how these relationships <laughs> play out. I mean, that we can't do justice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that that struck you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So don't deny
1: yourself that happiness, uh, listeners who've listened to this entire episode, uh, despite <laughs> not having read Daughter of Flood and Fury. And uh, Levi, you want to remind them one more time how they can find uh, Daughter of Flood and Fury.
2: Right. Um, search for the title. Search for my name on Amazon. It's currently exclusive to Amazon. So if you are a Kindle Unlimited member, you can read it for free um and that makes authors like me happy actually because i get to see the literal amount of pages that get read of my book every day versus Whoa. if someone buys it i see that they bought it but i don't know if they read it but when they turn the page i assume they're not doing it for fun so in the kindle unlimited program when you read it i'm like oh wow like they read 900 pages of my book today that's so cool i don't know how many people did that if it was 900 like single first pages or if it was like three full books but um that's cool so you can find it there and then like i said um I have some free stuff that's on my website, levijacobs.com slash free. Um, There's audio there as well as uh, eBooks that you can just get and check out if you want to see what my writing's like. Um, And I have a podcast since it seems, to your listener, that you like listening to podcasts, um, which is just talking about spoilers and previews and kind of like the stuff that we've been talking about here uh, called the Beggars and Brawlers podcast. Um, And you can find links to that on my website as well.
1: Awesome. And we'll throw those. And by we, I mean, Charles, we'll definitely throw all of that into the episode. (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely, And uh, you'll all be able to find all of the Levi Jacobs awesomeness that is out there. You'll look forward to LW Jacobs awesomeness. That's coming your way soon. And uh, Levi, this has been awesome having yeah, you on we want time. to have you on some more we've talked a little maybe i can give a little tease we that did. we, we, we don't, don't want to i don't well you can you're gonna always <laughs> edit this out charles it's, it's just work for you
0: i just don't want to put levi on the spot you know he was just being nice oh no i'm up for it i'm game he seems
1: into it let's, you know what
0: let's just commit right now let's do this okay thing. let's hold him accountable hold him accountable okay
1: <laughs> you dear listener have heard Levi Jacobs commit to joining us for a friends creating Creating fantasy fantasy. episode. At some point in the future, we're going to have a real live author showing us (laughs) how it's done (laughs) while Charles and I try to figure out how to come up with a story outline with the master outliner himself <laughs> yes. Levi, in the house, who knows what the title about will be. And uh, then
2: they're probably going to pressure me to write it afterwards. If, uh, <laughs> if our conversation beforehand is 100%. any indication. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's always been our dream. I mean, we've already told Levi that if he wants to write the darkness of power, which yes. was in our last one, then it's all his. And uh, you can do the Ravens <laughs> fantasy too, unless. Yeah, Levo,
0: oh, we yeah. want you yeah. to write it. We want you to sell the movie deals, video yeah. games. Like, we want the whole universe built. Oh, know. I'll have my people talk to your people. Like, let's do this. Yeah, exactly. We got to awesome. find some people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll work on finding people. And uh... <laughs> I'll, I'll find some people too, actually. <laughs>
2: I'll just be honest. I had some people and I fired them and I went Indie. So I guess I've got some people now, but I don't know if they're the people. we'll figure it out
1: all right well people will talk to people once we found all the people but for now (laughs) we're just talking here with you levi it's been so awesome and i I think that uh, yeah i think we can look forward to the next time that you're on so i'd love
2: to come back yes always
0: welcome levi Thank you so, so much for coming. It was a pleasure having you. Daughter of Flood and Fury, guys, check it out on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. And uh, I think we're ready for some uh, sweet, sweet outro music.
2: Let's hit it.
0: All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, reach out to us on Twitter at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end. We're also on Facebook and Instagram if you like those, and that's at the FTF Podcast. Shoot us an email at the FTF Podcast at gmail.com dot com now if they wanted to show some support dylan and they just happen to be listening on apple Podcasts, what kind of options do they have
2: i've got an idea what if they like me dear listeners went on and saw that there was a place to leave some stars or maybe even write a touching and compelling quote about how much they enjoyed this that they listened to the end even though they hadn't read the book (laughs) this guy gets it about the quality of these hosts and the podcast that they are publishing on a tri weekly basis, people. This is not easy to do. Tri weekly. Tri weekly. You understand.
0: This is why we need authors on the show. <laughs> and
2: sheer vigor that goes into this podcast, it deserves five stars. That's all I have to say about the matter. <laughs> That's uh, My name is Levi Jacobs vigor. and LW Jacobs, and I endorse this podcast.
0: Wow, both of them. Dylan, I think we just yep. got to leave it there. There's nothing left to be said. <laughs> Levi, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank all of you for listening auto flood and fury amazon kindle limited check it out and as (laughs) always guys go forth and conquer friends